Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arskaden coming to you from North Carolina. Now I'm recording this the night before because today, November 22nd, is my wife's, my lovely wife, Gabriella's birthday. And so I'm going to be spending uh, the day with her and celebrating her and just the blessing she is um, to my life and now to my son and my other son's life um, and just everything she does. And so I just want to uh, take the time to acknowledge her as she's just been a blessing from the Lord. And I love her dearly and can't wait to continue to spend the rest of our, our lives together. But uh, with that, we do want to continue our journey of standing on the wall, praying for not only this nation, but the office of the president. And today we want to look at a prime example of a similar situation that we're in uh, today in the story of King Jehoshaphat of Judah and in Second Chronicles 20. And before I read that, I, I want to read the um, breakdown that Chuck gives in his um, Dethroning the Thrones of Iniquity chapter in the Future War of the Church. He says in regards to this passage, he said, This passage seems to be a pattern for today. Notice, and when we read this, and if you remember this story, notice the confederation of demonic forces that would love to overtake God's covenant plan. Many thrones are built through a confederation of Satan's forces. Follow the pattern of success in 2 Chronicles 20. It's a great example for us in today's term of everything that's going on, and we'll get into some of that today, of what and prime example of what the Lord wants to do. Now, the response from the Lord is, is different at times, as even in, in some of these examples, King David did similar things, but God told him to do different things. So what the Lord wants us to do, it will maybe different, but in this situation, we'll, we'll look here. And, and today I want to look at just the first half of this chapter, and then tomorrow I want to look at the second half, because I want to go through this, not super slow, but in depth to where we can really look at and see what the Lord is showing us and what we can look at as an example here in the Old Testament of how to handle a situation where our enemies, in this case, the natural enemies, are coming against um, God's people. So with that, I'll bring it up on screen here for those listening via podcast. Again, we're in Second Chronicles 20. And we see here the title of this passage is Judah Invaded. And it says, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Midianites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, or that is in Gedi. 
what is known as Engedi now. And going on to the verse three, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. And I think that's the key there. Jehoshaphat was afraid. How many times would we, if we were in that situation, would we be afraid? I think 100% of the time. But we have to realize that, look, there are times where we're in situations where if we look to our own inclinations, yeah, we're, we're fearful. And when we're, we see this fear arises, okay, what do we do with that? And here we see Jehoshaphat turn to the Lord and seek the attention of the Lord. And he ultimately proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek him, to seek help from the Lord. They came, even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. So everybody came to seek the Lord. Okay, we're being invaded. They're coming after us. Um, and, and so now we have to seek you. So then it goes on to this prayer. And I'm going to read this prayer. And then we'll we'll pray for, pray on this situation. He says here in verse five. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord, and he goes on to say this. He says, "O Lord, the God of our fathers, you are not God in the heavens." Question: Like, are you? Are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands, so that no one can stand against you. Did you not? O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. So he's saying, Lord, look, you you said this. We're praying to you. We're crying out to you. Lord, are you not in heaven? Are you not here? Did you not do these things? And saying that they have lived in, in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name. Saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. So they said, no matter what happens, they know you'll ultimately deliver us, whether we die or whether we live. Now, behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive... He's He's being very sarcastic oh look you're you're rewarding us uh, they're rewarding us for not uh you allowing us to go and take them out um out from your possessions which you have given us as an inheritance oh our god will you not judge them for we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us nor do we know what to do but our eyes are on you all of judah was standing before the lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. And I want to I want to end on that today with our scripture passage. Just to see the place where they were at of understanding that should evil in verse 9 come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. I think that's a a how many of us could say we would willingly do that right now and in the future would put ourselves in the position of being fully dependent on God? And this is, this is gut, gut check time for me uh, when I read this. And so um, we wanna, we'll go through to tomorrow and continue on this passage. But is, is in these situations and in situations that we're in right now, who are we turning to? Are we turning to ourselves and our own inclinations or are we turning to the Lord? We've had prophetic to say hey we need to turn to the lord the lord is asking for us to turn to him 
So here we see this example. Tomorrow we'll continue on with that. Now we want to dive into the news and some things that are coming out, things we need to be aware of. Um, we're going to stay domestic today. There's there's not many updates on things that are happening in Jerusalem as far as the um, Netanyahu coalition negotiations. Again, reminder on that situation. The deadline is this Wednesday, November 23rd. So uh, going into our Tuesday night there, Wednesday, we should start to see some, some headway there. Um, as far as a resolution being resolved, a government being put forward. And if I remember correctly, the 28th is their final um, day that they have. It may be, end up be longer. I can't remember exactly. Um, but they had 28 days from when they got the letter to say, okay, now's the time to actually move forward with this. So um, time is ticking on that. That's that's not something that they can just wait forever. They need to come to towards a solution. Okay. Now, here on the home front... Um, the rhetoric around the Colorado Springs shooting is starting to ramp up. Uh, calls for hate crimes, calls for a bunch of things, people trying to determine the motive of why somebody did the horrendous act that they did. Again, it's still under investigation, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it because I, they're still looking into this. They're trying to figure out why. They're trying to come up with a motive for him. Um, local officials are trying to, again, go after hate crime for whatever the case may be. Still too early. But I think there is something that is to be said about a situation like this. And there are two statements that I want to read. One from Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh. I think that really outline um, just the rhetoric coming out of this. And... Ben Shapiro's statement is this. He posted it on his Twitter. And so I'm reading this from an article from Daily Wire, which quotes his Twitter that says, The left has no problem blaming tragedies like the one on in Colorado Springs on their political opponents. According to them, anyone who doesn't support their radical social agenda is complicit, and yet they wonder why society is more polarized than ever. And what he's doing is he's calling out the, the divide that people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others who are making this something bigger than it it has to be, number one, um, but then making it something that it's not. There's reports that this possibly was a situation where the shooter had a PTSD moment and possibly just went haywire. I'm not saying I know that to be true, but there's it's too early to speculate. And what they're calling out right now is just this jumping on board with, oh yeah, this is the reason why this has to do this. Let's go after guns and and protect uh, the LGBT community. And then uh, Matt Walsh's one of his statements from his Twitter account was that he says leftists are using a mass shooting to try to blackmail us into accepting the castration and sexualization of children. These people are just beyond evil. I have never felt more motivated to oppose everything they stand for with every fiber of my being despicable despicable scumbags and, and look they're using this to their advantage and not just it's gone beyond going after the second amendment it's now going after the innocence of children and trying to push these ideologies and trying to say well because of this one event this means that this goes after so that we should we should allow this and we should just do whatever we want well if something like that were to happen to a jewish synagogue should be pushed would be would they be okay with Judaism being pushed to the front or at a church? Would they be okay with Christianity being pushed forward? I, I, I don't think so. So that kind of argument um, of whataboutism uh, kind of falls through the cracks when you actually look at this. But again, 
we want to pray for those involved. Pray for the families. Um, pray that the Lord would touch them uh, through this scenario um, and, and come and touch their hearts and convict them um, for the situations that they're in. Because um, it's, it's I mean, horrendous to have anybody experience something like that. And, and what's interesting is that there were a lot of events like this around this weekend. Um, here in Raleigh, we had one where an unfortunate accident happened during a Christmas Day parade where a little girl ended up losing her life because she got ran over by a, a truck that was going downhill with a float on the back of it, and the brakes went out on the truck. Um, a whole scenario. I mean, the community is kind of rocked by it here, but there's events like that going on. So there's, in the spiritual sense, the natural reveals the spiritual, there's something going on um, right now where the enemy is increasing um, its activity. And that's why we want to continue to pray in these type of situations where the enemy comes against us. What do we do? We seek the Lord. And so that's what we want to do in this this situation. Okay. Next, moving on. I'm going to give some updates on the Arizona AG's investigation. So we're obviously aware that this is going on. There might be some challenges for this. Uh, just some caveats on this is that the election results have not been submitted to the Secretary of State's office. That's that's a key issue. Um, also, the we've talked about it before, but I want to highlight it again. The election for governor in Arizona has not officially been um, called or the results have been officially approved. So any media pundit, anybody saying, oh, you know, Carrie Lake lost, Hobbs won, the Secretary of State's office hasn't doesn't have the ballots or the results to officially approve that. So that's very, very key there. And that's what the um, Assistant Attorney General, General Jennifer Wright, is asking for. She's asking for the evidence of everything to come to her before so they can do their investigation to make sure that things are done properly. Um, does that change the results? Yet to be seen. But she has been given, the AG's office has been given firsthand um, witness accounts that they say raise concerns regarding how compliance of Arizona's election law was implemented by Maricopa County. That's the issue here. And so whether there were or wasn't is yet to fully, from someone who's thousands of miles away, is yet to be fully seen, and hopefully they can get to the bottom of this. And whatever the results are, or whatever the results are, and the Arizona people, how they voted is how they voted. And um, so the next step in this is that the officials in Maricopa County have been asked to respond to requests for documents um, and on this case by November 28th. So that's a date um, to know about um, and be aware of. And so once they come back from Thanksgiving holiday, um, there will be some investigations that can continue to go on and um, maybe into the week after. Also in Georgia, they're, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, they're going to start having early voting. So for those in Georgia who would like to go early vote, if they so choose so, there, there will be polling stations to be able to go out and vote. And then um, last thing on the Arizona issue is that uh, Carrie Lake seems pretty confident. Uh, she's saying after that statement from the Arizona's deputy AG, she's saying, I'm going to be governor. Whether she is or not is yet to be fully determined, but 
I think it just shows the confidence from her. I mean, she's been confident throughout her whole campaign. She's not backing down. Um, and, and so this is where she's at. And, and look, if she's proven right, good on her for not backing down, for not giving up. Good on the AG of Arizona. They're actually looking into this before things could go to getting out of control. And I point back to Bush v. Gore in Florida. Those situations, you have to catch it before it actually um, gets put forward. And if, if it does get put forward, like in Florida, Bush v. Gore, you have to have people there on the ground dealing with it. And that's what she's doing. If there are issues, she's showing, again, the framework like a Bush v. Gore of how to do it. And so, again, it's yet to be determined, but... Something to pray for is that the true vote, the people's vote of Arizona, would be able to come forward and, and, and that the truth would come to light. If there were honest issues that caused some problems, that that's something to deal with later on how this election is dealt with. But Arizona has laws in the books, and if those laws weren't followed, that's what the AG in Arizona is trying to follow and, and deal with before it goes to the Secretary of State's office. Okay. Now, um, a couple updates. We talked about it on Noon Prayer about the railroad strike. Um, some key information on that is that three of the 12 unions that are involved in this that actually make up 25% of the coalition of workers are the ones who are disputing this labor deal that the Biden administration has put forward. If this doesn't get pushed forward, then it ultimately goes to Congress who will pretty much force a deal to be done at the end of the day. And uh, with the holidays and everything coming up, the, it's not something supposedly that the unions necessarily want, but will be forced on it. And there's some, looks like some legitimate causes for why they're saying no as far as supposedly not getting paid family or paid sick leave or even unpaid sick leave. Uh, political was writing on this story and so if that's true I mean that's just like ridiculous that they wouldn't even consider that but again I want to put this story out as, as an update on this there are the fear mongering of when this shuts down if this were to go through it would shut down and cost two billions of dollars two billion dollars worth of costs or revenue for the entire country because most of the goods throughout this country are shipped through rail now Obviously, we want to pray for this for a resolution on this, but we also want to look at, on a, at a broader scale, some other issues that are involving not only the infra infrastructure but supply chains and where the future of this country is going. So you have this issue. So if our country is heavily dependent upon this, what about the rest of the country when this push for electric cars and et cetera? And now you're seeing... Um, California obviously being the big proponent of that where they're trying to get away from electric vehicles, but now they're saying they want to ban older diesel trucks by 2025 and ultimately have, again, a 2035 electric truck mandate just like the cars, no combustion engines, etc., stuff like that. The problem with that is people involved in the trucking industry in California are saying that's great if you want to go for that, but the issue is just like with cars – you don't have enough charging stations. You don't have the electrical grid to be able to do this. So if you're going to do this, what happens when we can't move things around? There's a, it's a question. 
Um, you also have a commitment being made by the U.S. in what is being called the Drive to Zero Campaign, Zero Emissions, which is just um, laughable to say the least, where they want to have 100% zero emission trucks and bus sales by 2040. You have the White House pushing this forward. This is being pushed forward, um, written about from the Epic Times. Uh, Energy Secretary Granholm pushing this forward as part as uh, the G20 and all these other globalist um, organizations and stuff. And so we we see this push of going towards something government-funded, government-issued, um, I guess is the best way to say it. A polite way to say it. And so the question is, is this the route to go? Does this solve our energy problem? Does this solve the energy issue? Or the question is, was there even an energy issue before to begin with? Now, something that's interesting is that throughout all this, there's a debate nuclear and, and or hydrogen or, you know, wind and solar, quote-unquote renewable, or oil and gas, which which is the way to go. And so you're seeing the in a recent it's issue in California is that they've been shutting down all these nuclear plants, having blackouts. Well, one of the nuclear plants they needed to keep up in the Diablo Canyon um, region has been given pretty much a um a grant from the Biden administration of $1.1 billion to keep it open and operational for um, the next several years in the short term, uh, keep it running for another eight years. And so <laughs> when things aren't going the way you want it with wind and solar, the old way of doing it is in the process of being brought forward um, or more so stabilized so that they can actually have everything they need while also trying to make the transition to quote-unquote renewable um, zero carbon emissions which are, I mean are lofty goals if you think about that but I say all this to say is that number one on a natural standpoint when the government gets involved in something it's not always necessarily a good thing and these type of ish policies aren't something new under the the Biden administration this goes back to Obama and quite actually before that uh, this is an article from uh, from Fox News from May 7th, 2015, so when Obama was in office, the end of his, his term, from Marty Paget of High Gear Media, who talks about how, look, if you're looking at where, and more so who is the father of the modern electric car, it's not some scientist, it's George Bush for giving funding of $7.5 billion, which is very minuscule to the, like, 400 or couple hundred billion dollars that the Biden administration has given for it and even with um, Obama and etc and so want to point this out is that if it weren't for Bush who gave an investment of 7.5 billion dollars and Bush in Congress as the article writes says underwrote 25 billion dollars in loans that translated directly into leaf the vault for electric focus the Think City and Tesla and Fisk's Fisker's leap from paper to plant uh, of this is how these cars got off the ground is from government funding 
And if you know anything about capitalism, socialism, and nationalism, uh, uh, when things like this go into place, it's not always the best bet because if the government makes a bad investment, who's going to recoup it? Oh, who's going to pay for it? We are. At the end of the day, so our taxpayers are going for it. The tax dollars are going for this. I put that out there. And with everything coming to fruition and some questions and some evidence showing that we might need to put a pause on this and, and have a better discussion about what possibly to do in the energy sector. Do we become energy independent by drilling the oil that the Lord has provided for us in the ground or that is there for us? We're not going to talk about um, bring up religion as some people like to, to do. And, and I just want to bring about these issues to say that, look, I don't have the answer. I don't think there might be some people who have the answer, but we need to pray for leaders who are willing to lay down whatever it is, the blinders that are there, to be able to see, have the wisdom and the fear of the Lord, revelation of the Lord, to see clearly what is the solution to this. Because I think going down this road of taxing people to high heaven and saying that if you're poor and, and you're cold, we'll just get solar panels and just get better windows in your house. Well, if you're renting a house or you're renting an apartment or you're renting from anybody, a room from someone, you don't have the the ability to be able to make that decision on the property, number one. And prob most likely, I've been in those situations, you're not worried about um, saving somebody a little bit of money on their electric bill because you're worried about putting food on your table, um, clothes on your back, and getting yourself to and from work. So there's quite an issue there. And I think you just we want to pray for this administration, pray for leaders to have godly wisdom and revelation on the energy question of what is the solution here. Because um, the Lord can provide wisdom and direction on these these issues that are before us. And, and so I want to close on that issue, moving to the next, is there is still time on this, what is being called the Respect for Marriage Act, more so the Disrespect, Disrespect for Marriage Act and the overturning of the Defense of Marriage Act, which Bill Clinton uh, signed into law, which actually defined marriage between one man and one woman. And Mike Lee is sounding the alarm, saying that time is running out for colleagues and senators, Republican and Democrat alike, to actually uphold and protect religious freedom. And he he um, he writes in a letter a really strong point. And pointing back to the Obergefell versus Hodges, in which the Supreme Court required states to license and recognize same-sex marriage, and pointing out a dialogue between the uh, Obama Solicitor General uh, Donald Varelli in 2015 with Justice Samuel Alito. And I want to read this line of questioning because it, it outlines why he's pressing this very hard. And why what Democrats and even some Republicans, as Collins and others, are saying, oh, well, this protects it, we've done that, no worries. He says this with Obergefell, in regards to Obergefell. And the article is written, he says, When Alito asked whether religious universities oppose a same-sex marriage would lose their tax-exempt status, Varel replied, it's currently going to be an issue. I don't deny that. I don't deny that, Justice Alito. It is going to be an issue, meaning that, uh, yeah, they're most likely going to lose it, and there are going to be lawsuits and litigations after the fact, and there have been some. 
And there are some. We we saw it a couple months ago with the issue in New York of them being attacked for not a religious institution, not allowing a LGBTQ club, student club. And so they just shut all the clubs down, which is actually ingenious. And so these type of issues are coming up. And he points out, he says, look, this is an issue. Obergefell did not make a private right um, and protect these institutions. And he his bill, or more so his amendment to the bill, would explicitly say that in saying that the federal government may not take any discriminatory action against a person wholly or partially on the basis that such a person speaks or acts in accordance with a sincerely held religious belief or moral conviction. That marriage is or should be recognized as a union of one man and one woman or two individuals as recognized under federal law. And obviously this whole thing throws it out of proportion in regards to that. If they sign this in a place, would some judge still say, well, they can go forward with these lawsuits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just blows everything out of the, out of proportion. And so if you're going to pass this bill, at least saying, put this amendment in there. Um, I think the heart of the father is still, uh, would be very disturbed at this, that people would consider redefining marriage when God said Genesis is between one man and one woman and, and natural law. If you want to talk in natural sense, that's what marriage is and, and always has been. And you can't change the fact and can't change the definition of that. Okay. Last thing, I want to close on this. Very, very good news. Uh, staying on, staying up to date on the Twitter issue. It's very fascinating to see how Elon Musk is handling this with uh, cutting its staff down to size uh, in proper sense to rather than lose $300 million a year. He actually wants to make Twitter profitable because he bought it for $44 billion. But actually some very good news that's come out is that Twitter, after lawsuits and requests being made from minors and people who just want some sanity in this world uh, for Twitter to actually do something. And Elon has actually done that. He was asked over the weekend um, via a tweet whether he would address a child sex exploitation and pornography and sex trade. And he said it would be his number one priority. And there's groups and people involved who actually follow this stuff who are very aware of this and there's certain hashtags that were there that are no longer there um or more so the content that has been there has been pulled down that supposedly these sex traffickers use to be able to show information and network and do all their host of stuff and the people involved in this are saying good Elon and Twitter and its people are actually finally doing something about it. It took lawsuits, it took multiple requests, and before Twitter would just say, well, we can't do anything about it um, because we don't have the technology, blah, 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 blah. Make any excuse under the sun. And, and Elon comes in and says, all right, cool, we're dealing with this. Because he has children, he understands this, and this is just despicable. And so good on Elon for doing this. And then... Another positive, positive note coming out of out of this is that Babylon B was banned before, and they they say um, they're the reason why they broke the straw, the camel's back. They're the straw that broke the camel's back for getting Elon to buy Twitter. 
And this is what they say, and they're going on their, what they call their, um, their victory tour after getting back onto Twitter. And the CEO of Babylon B said this. He says, we now, in regards to their activity back on Twitter and in the whole company at large, it says, we now have more followers from Twitter and elsewhere, reach and revenue than ever before. Not because we acquiesced, but because we stubbornly refused to bend the knee to tyrants. And obviously, if you don't remember, the tweet that got them banned was a satire article that jokingly named Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary uh, Rachel Levine a biological male who identifies as a transgender woman, man of the year. It's a joke. And they got banned for that. And because it, he is a man. And so, I, I, I say this. is This is an example for everyone. And obviously, this shows they, they had to put some trust in, in the Lord. Because um, from my understanding, they didn't really know Elon very well before this, but they got to know him. And he saw what happened. He saw the joke and took action otherwise. And that's totally out of their hands. And I think, again, it's a modern-day natural example of what we're seeing in Second Chronicles 2, of when we put our trust in the Lord. And more so in situations where they had nothing else. They lost Twitter. It's, it's a main avenue of communication for them. Obviously, they had others, their website, etc. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. But that's a certain segment of their fan base, who followers, who follow them on Twitter, who may not be on Instagram, may not be on, on, on YouTube and Facebook. And there are people like that. And so it shows when you don't acquiesce and bow to the knee of tyrants that... Whether you, you, you do, you know, you get the result you want. In this case, they got back on, they've got reach, they got more followers, etc. There were martyrs and there were people before who wouldn't bow and they lost their lives and they had a different result. But this time around, something different is happening. So it's that portion of just putting our trust in God and whatever happens, happens. So we'll build on this uh, on Wednesday as we close out this week before Thanksgiving. And just honoring the Lord and being thankful for the season that we're in and knowing that no matter the outcome, we want to put our trust and our hope and our faith in God. For He is God who knows the end from the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. So we're going to continue to just stand on the wall, praying for this nation and the office of the President, and staying informed, knowing the times and seasons that we are in. So blessings. Hope you all have a great Tuesday. And I will be back tomorrow to close out before Thanksgiving. So blessings. I'll see you guys later. Have a good one.